Welcome to the Benton Heights Presbyterian Church Podcast. We're excited you've joined us as we hear what God has to say to us through Scripture and this message from Pastor Paul. We're in the midst of looking at Jesus' prayer from the Gospel of John in the 17th chapter. In fact, that prayer of Jesus is the only thing in John chapter 17. It fills all 26 verses. This is now our third week, and looking at this uh, next week, we conclude. So let me remind you why we're focusing on prayer. Uh, I'll give you two, not really minor reasons, but two reasons, but then the big reason. Number one, if Jesus prays, we all need to pray. Number two, we all need to pray, but we don't all know what that looks like in We all can use help on how to pray. And number three, the ultimate reason for focusing on prayer, prayer is how we build our relationship with God and with others. So it's a a foundational thing between us and God. It's it's being able to, to talk to Him, to share what's on our heart. It's being able to listen, to read His Word and let that wash over us as a prayer for us as well. And so that's building our relationship with God, then it's also building our relationship with each other. So you want to have a great marriage, it starts in prayer. When you pray for and with your spouse, you can't help but be drawn closer together. But even more, when you pray with and for your spouse, you're inviting God into your marriage. So if you want to have a great marriage, it starts with prayer. Same with wanting to have a great family or a great job or a a great school year. It starts with prayer. The other summary point I want to make is this. There are only two ways to live life, culture up or kingdom down. By culture up, I'm talking about the ways of the world that Satan has corrupted. The ways of the world that are so against God and so against the kingdom of God, and that begs the question, in the way that you live your life, are you trying to pull hell up into your life, or are you trying to bring the kingdom of God down into your life? Just so you know, Jesus in His prayer prays against the world. Now, he obviously knows we are in the world, but he prays that the world won't define us, that the world won't have a hold on us, which is true, by the way, if you are in Christ Jesus, he has the last say on your life. And that finally led us to talk about one of Jesus' disciples who wasn't in Christ Jesus. His name is Judas, the one about whom John would earlier write that Satan had indwelt. And so, Jesus prays. We saw this last time. He says to the Father, none has been lost except the one doomed to destruction so that the Scripture would be fulfilled. So yes, that's about Judas. But I want to 
I want to focus now on that last phrase in this verse, that everything predicted, foretold, prophesied by God in the Scriptures is being fulfilled. That's how God works. He promises, and then He fulfills. How many of you have people that have made promises that they couldn't fulfill? That's all of us, right? God always fulfills all of His promises. We call this prophecy. For you see, when the Bible was originally written, about 25% of it was prophetic in nature. In other words, it was like God was saying, here's what's going to happen. So here's what we're going to do. I'm going to share several verses with you, passages of Scripture that God promised from time long ago that were fulfilled in Jesus. Now, we can't look at all of them. We can't look at all the promises foretold about Jesus in the Old Testament because there's over 300 of them. However, here's a few. So, a thousand years before Jesus, Psalm 41 verse 9 says this, Even my close friend, someone I trusted, one who shared my bread, has turned against me. (laughs) Who is that? Judas Iscariot. 500 years before Jesus walked the earth, Zechariah chapter 11, verses 12 and 13. So they paid me 30 pieces of silver. And the Lord said to me, throw it to the potter. This is having to do with the temple. So I took the 30 pieces of silver and threw them to the potter at the house of the Lord. Was that fulfilled? Yes. In fact, it was being fulfilled at the very moment that Jesus is praying this prayer in John chapter 17. Judas has gone to betray Jesus for how many pieces of silver? Not 29, not 31, because God always fulfills His promise. Now, God didn't make Judas sin. He knew Judas was going to sin, and God used Judas's sin for his glory over all of history. You see, God is so powerful, so in authority, that he can even take that which is intended for evil and make it something for good. Again, 1,000 years before Jesus, Psalm 22, verse 18, they divide my clothes among them and cast lots for my garment They go to crucify Jesus. They strip him naked, and the soldiers literally roll the dice to see who's going to get Jesus' clothing. Psalm 22, 16. Dogs surround me. A pack of villains encircles me. These are phrases that simply refer to evil people. They pierce my hands and my feet. Where was Jesus pierced? Hands and feet. By the way, I need you to know, crucifixion was invented by the Persians. And it was invented several hundred years after this psalm was written. 
700 years before Jesus, the prophet Isaiah in chapter 53, verse 12, says, He poured out his life unto death and was numbered with the transgressors. Jesus fulfilled this when he died between two thieves. They were guilty. He was not guilty. Psalm 34, 20. He protects all his bones. Not one of them will be broken. Crucifixion is a painfully slow death. And sometimes the soldiers wanting to hasten death would break the criminal's legs who was hanging on the cross. Because you see what crucifixion was, was death by asphyxiation. Your body would just slouch under the weight of the the cross holding you, and you'd struggle to get a breath by breaking the legs. If they got tired of waiting around for you to die, you could no longer push up to catch a breath. The Bible says that Jesus died quickly enough that none of His bones were broken because the Scriptures were true. Psalm 22, verse 1, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? That's exactly what Jesus cried out from the cross as he was dying in your place for your sin as your Savior. Again, Isaiah 53, this time verse 8, he was cut off from the land of the living, which means he died. For the reason? For the transgression, for the sin of my people, he was punished. Jesus would die not for his sin because he had none. He would die for your sin. He would die for my sin. The very next verse, verse 9, he was assigned a grave with the wicked and with the rich in his death. Jesus, while he was on earth, was he rich or poor? He was poor. And when he died, he didn't own a grave. There was no place to put his body, but there was a quiet disciple, shall we say, Joseph of Arimathea, a wealthy man who donated his new tomb for the burial of Jesus. The good news for Joseph, he got it back, barely used. (laughs) Two Two more verses. Both of these are from the Psalms. Psalm 16, verse 10, you will not abandon me to the realm of the dead, nor will you let your faithful one see decay. Jesus is the Holy One of God. He went into the grave, but He didn't remain there. And to this last one, I ask the question, what is it that Jesus is doing today? Psalm 110, verse 1, the Lord says to my Lord, sit at my right hand until I make your enemies a footstool for your feet. Right now, Jesus is high and exalted. Right now, Jesus is over every king and kingdom. Right now, Jesus is over every culture and nation. All of this to say, I think we looked at 11 different passages, that the Bible is the book that God wrote. Yes, through human authors, but under the incredible inspiration of God the Holy Spirit. Who else 
could write in such painstaking detail. Only the God of the Bible knows the future. Only the God of the Bible reveals the future. Now, on to more of Jesus' prayer. John chapter 17, verses 13 to 19. In his prayer, he's speaking to the Father, and he says, I am coming to you now, but I say these things while I am still in the world so that they may have the full measure of my joy within them. I have given them your word, and the world has hated them, for they are not of the world any more than I am of the world. My prayer is not that you take them out of the world, but that you protect them from the evil one. They are not of the world, even as I am not of it. Sanctify them by the truth. Your word is truth. As you sent me into the world, I have sent them into the world. For them, I sanctify myself, that they too may be truly sanctified. Five things that make life worth living. Number one, God has joy for you. Jesus is praying, and in his prayer, he says that my joy will be in you. If your joy is in the world, you do not have joy. If your joy is based on your circumstances, well, those circumstances come and go. True joy comes from God. It is one of the fruits of the Spirit And it's tied not to your circumstances, it's tied to your relationship with God. Now, don't get me wrong. The Lord gives us many blessings to enjoy while we are walking through this life. But the point is, this world is not our home. So no matter what comes our way, it's an opportunity to learn about Jesus, to lean on Jesus, and to become more like Jesus. That's where the joy comes in. Number two, God has truth for you. Jesus says, your word is truth. Isn't it really nice to know that somewhere there is truth? It's getting harder to tell. The lines are getting blurred as to what's right or wrong, true or false, what's fact or fiction. The Bible is true. And it's really nice to know that in a world filled with conjecture and spin and speculation, here is something you can depend upon. The Bible is truth. It will be true tomorrow. Cultures will come and go, nations will come and go, philosophies will come and go, but the Word of God remains forever. Number three, you have a purpose. God has a mission for you. Jesus said in that prayer, Father, as you have sent me, so I am sending them. About 40 Times in the Gospel of John, Jesus uses the language of send. This is the language of a missionary. We often think of a missionary as someone who is sent to places across the world, which is true. 
but a missionary is also one who is sent across the street or across the cubicle or across the lunchroom. Jesus says, I am sending you as a missionary into the world because there are people that I love who don't know me yet. Someone did that for you, right? Someone talked to you. Someone brought you to church. Someone bought you a Bible. Someone told you about Jesus. Jesus' prayer, again, verse 15, my prayer is not that you take them out of the world, but that you protect them from the evil one. We are not to be separated from the world, but also not corrupted by the world. All the people that are in the world are the ones that we want to be in relationship with. But we don't want our morals, our values, our character, our convictions defined by the world. We want them defined by the Word. So for the church, let me give you an analogy. A boat goes through the water, but the goal of the boat is to not take on any of the water. What happens when water comes into the boat? The boat sinks. The church is a lot like that. We are passing through this dark world, and the church of Jesus Christ is like a huge boat. We'll just call it a ship. And we're grabbing people, and we're, we're pulling them in, and we're saying, come with us, come here, come, come join us, come get in. There's safe harbor ahead. People of Jesus, we're supposed to stay in the world, not retreat from it, because this is where the, mis the rescue mission lies. But we are not to allow the world, or to use that analogy, the water of the world, into the ship. That means we do money differently. We do power differently. We do relationships differently. We do family differently. We do sex differently. We do gender differently. Because we don't want to take on the water. We want to pass through the water and take on the people as we invite them into the boat with us. Number four, He gives us our identity. That identity was revealed in verse 19. For them I sanctify myself, that they too may be truly sanctified. Sanctified. Now, there's a, there's a real churchy word. But this is the language of holiness. Something that is set apart for a special use. Every couple about to be married experiences this. You know when it happens? The bridal registry. So there are everyday dishes and there's fine china. There is everyday cutlery and special cutlery. 
single guys, you are in for an education when it comes to this. You're thinking a spork is all I need. Don't bring that out at holidays and special occasions. And then, to top it all off, you find out that there are special towels. Some of them are only decorative. Those things are special. They're set apart. When Jesus looks at his people... What he says is, you're special, you're special, you're special, you're special, you're You're consecrated, you're sanctified, you're set apart. They're about to arrest Jesus, and they're going to say all kinds of things about him that he's demon-possessed, that he's a liar, that he's a blasphemer. But he knows who he is. You, if you are a child of God, know that you are special, holy, clean, forgiven. It doesn't matter what they say, whoever they are. It matters what he says. And number five, 2,000 years ago, Jesus was on the earth, and He prayed for you. And Jesus didn't just pray for you 2,000 years ago. Jesus is praying for you right now. Right now, Jesus is in the presence of God the Father, and they are having a conversation about you. Did you know that? Let me read you a verse, Hebrews 7 25, therefore, he is able to save completely those who come to God through him, that is Jesus, because he always lives to intercede for them. Jesus lives to intercede for you. When Jesus was on this earth, he faced what you face. He was tempted by what you're tempted by. And he has battled and defeated whatever you're battling. He understands. And right now, the Holy Spirit lives within you. And when you pray, there's an immediate connection that the Holy Spirit makes to Jesus, who is your intercessor before the Father. I'll read you another verse. It's Romans 8, 34. Who then is the one who condemns? No one. Christ Jesus who died, more than that, who was raised to life, is at the right hand of God and is also interceding for us. Jesus right now has you on his heart. Jesus right now has you on his mind. Nothing you're going through is apart from his awareness or understanding. Nothing. Jesus is alive right now. And he didn't just pray for you 2,000 years ago. He's praying for you right now. That's amazing. As the praise team comes back, um, as you know, or maybe you know, at the end of 
the service, we can pray together. If there's something on your heart for which you want prayer for yourself or someone else, I'll remain up front and we can pray. And in just a moment, I'm going to pray for us here. But how we're going to begin is that I'm going to just simply invite you to pray, to make your requests known. It's not that God doesn't already know them, but you need to voice them. So pray for yourself, pray for others. So in the quiet of your heart, let's pray. Lord Jesus, thank you for dying for us, rising for us, interceding for us. For those that need a burden lifted, will you lift it? For those who need their sin forgiven, that you would forgive it now. For those that need the provision of your presence, that they receive that now. And then for the opportunity to be on mission for you. We pray for the people you want us to meet, speak to. We pray that you'll give us the courage based on love. Love for you love for them in Jesus name we hope you found this message to be encouraging we'd love for you to join us on Sunday mornings find us on Facebook and Instagram and at bhprez.org for more information